welcome to the Run Report for Thursday, May 19th, 2022. A beautiful, sunny, hot day out there. Sailing to Byzantium. In his famous poem, Yeats goes on about sailing the seas to the, quote, holy city of Byzantium, unquote. And once there, he proposes to escape the bonds of mortality and find new life. As some sort of a magical bird, quote, set upon a golden bough to sing, unquote. That's how I read it anyways, with a little help from Andrew Spacey. Byzantium, of course, was the ancient capital of the Byzantine Empire. The center of European culture for a thousand years after the fall of Rome. It was his dream city a magical place in his mind. And of course, human beings have been sailing the seas looking for their dream place since forever. Since people crossed the water from Asia to the Australian subcontinent some 60,000 years ago. Nobody knows how they did it. There is no evidence of sailing or boats or traversing the oceans before then. But somehow they managed to cross hundreds of miles of open water and suddenly found themselves in Australia. Quite an adventure. The first sea voyage of discovery. The ancient South Pacific Islanders used to voyage across immense spans of ocean in their 50-foot-long double-hulled canoes thousands of years ago, using navigation techniques that defy modern-day understanding. They were able to sail from Tahiti to Hawaii and to nearly every island within the vast Polynesian Triangle. Using knowledge of the stars, of the birds and the ocean swells, of the wind patterns, the clouds and the color of the sky. Information which they gleaned from a large body of knowledge they had accumulated and stored in their oral traditions. They would literally sing themselves from island to island as they recalled the knowledge of their ancestors. They first moved east from New Guinea around 1500 BC 
it's about the time the Bible is being written. Into the vast ocean world and colonized the Solomon Islands, then the banks and Vinaru Archipelagos. Vanatu, sorry. The Vanatu Archipelagos. And as islands grew farther and farther apart, their navigational skills grew more sophisticated. From tens of miles at the edge of the Western Pacific to hundreds of miles along the way to Polynesia, to thousands of miles for the voyages to Hawaii and Easter Islands. Imagine arriving at a Pacific Atoll after spending weeks or maybe months on the rolling waves and then disembarking on a pristine new world that no humans had ever seen before. The 18th and 19th century French Canadians who transported furs from the interior of the vast Canadian forests down the wild rivers in their 30-foot canoes were having adventures too. They were called voyagers. And were usually 10 or 12 hardy men in a boat, singing away to keep the tempo, paddling 12 to 14 hours a day, hardly missing a beat, stopping only long enough to smoke a bowl with their long-stemmed pipes each hour, camping out along the banks of the river until they arrived at the trading posts on the edge of the frontier. It was considered a romantic an adventurous lifestyle in the folklore and music of the time. A rowdy band of boisterous boys singing body songs and paddling along the winding rivers with tall trees on either side, watching out for rapids and unfriendly Indians. What a deal. There was the promise of celebrity and wealth, but much like the gold diggers in California and Alaska, it was mostly a massive amount of hard work and the privations of a primitive lifestyle. Paddling downstream on a warm sunny day with a canoe full of beaver pelts and your buddies was one thing portaging rapids, carrying two 90-pound bundles, was quite another. And then there's the canoe. But the voyagers would travel deep into the interior to trade with the First Nations people. The deeper they went, the better the price. Steel hatchets, 
kettles, broadcloth, guns, liquor, and other items of European manufacture were exchanged for pelts of marten, otter, lynx, mink, and beaver. Sometimes they would overwinter in the vast boreal forests of Canada before they returned using skills they had learned from the First Nation people to survive. But it was a cruel and wanton business that almost exterminated some of those fur-bearing species. It was also one of the ways that the vast hinterland was explored and developed, not only in Canada, but in Siberia as well. Gotta keep warm in the 17th century before coal and efficient furnaces became widely available to warm people's homes. And so the voyagers were off. Come spring, and the ice cleared from the rivers to points west and north of Montreal. They were bound for glory and riches, or at least some wild adventures. Although not much is known about the boats used by the Incas to traverse the west coast of South America, this drawing from a book published in 1748, see the text edition, resembles the description given by 16th century Spanish explorers of the raft-like boats they encountered there. The description goes like this. The Spanish captured a ship raft with as many as 20 men aboard, of whom 11 threw themselves into the water. Wonder why. Ruiz put the remainder of the crew on shore except for three whom he kept as interpreters. He treated them well, I'm sure. <laughs> the ship he took had a capacity of up to 30 metric tons. The keel was made of canes, balsa logs, balsa logs, as thick as posts, bound together with ropes of what they call henequen, which is like hemp. It had an upper deck made of lighter canes, tied with the same kinds of rope. The people and their cargo remained dry on the upper deck as the lower logs were awash in the seawater. The ship had masts of good wood and lateen rigged sails of cotton, the same as our ships, and good rigging with henequen ropes. It carried stone weights like barbers grinding stones as anchors. Unquote. 
Apparently, they traded all up and down the coast, from Peru as far as Mexico, in their raft boats. That must have been some adventures. Thor Heyerdahl, in 1947, floated or sailed 4,300 miles across the Pacific Ocean from Peru to the Polynesian Islands on his balsa wood raft, the Contiki, built in the native style using native materials. It took him 101 days and proved the point that the ancient Inca could have made long sea voyages with their boats. Whether they did or not is unknown. Heiderdahl and his mates did though, on the Contiki, a name that refers to the powerful Inca creator god Viracocha, who oversaw the Inca culture from the very beginning of time. Viracocha was the maker of all things. the substance from which all things were made. He made the sun, the moon, and the stars. He made mankind by breathing into stones. He was intimately connected to the sea and eventually disappeared by walking across the Pacific Ocean, never to return. In the myths of the Inca, he wandered the earth, disguised as a beggar, teaching the basics of civilization to his creation everywhere, and working miracles, of course. The Vikings knew how to sail some ships. They crossed the Atlantic Ocean in their long ships and discovered Newfoundland in 1021, uh, 500 years before Columbus floated the ocean blue and found himself in the Caribbean. But they didn't have the same flair for franchise development. So after a while, they abandoned the settlement and went home. They were mainly farmers anyway, although they would have gnarly adventures from time to time just for the heck of it, and raid England, or sail up the Seine and sack Paris. Good times. And European boats, of course, we are all familiar with. The Caravels of Columbus. Pilgrim's three-masted galleon, the Mayflower, Magellan and his fleet of Caracs, circumnavigating the whole round world without falling off. 
Well, only one of them actually made it all the way around. 30 men out of the 270 member original crew survived. Might have been a little too much adventure. People have been traversing the earth, exploring and discovering and unfortunately conquering and subjugating for a very long time. We're all on a journey, is the point of my sermon. Some kind of a journey across some kind of an ocean to some kind of a destination. The beautiful reward, as Bruce Springsteen put it. Or like old William Butler Yeats, sailing to the holy city of Byzantium. He wanted to become a bird, singing to the lords and ladies of Byzantium from a golden bough. I'm not sure why. Maybe that was the best image he could come up with to counter his concerns of growing old and dying. Substitute heaven, or reincarnation, or the Elysian fields for the virtuous Greek souls, or Valhalla for the courageous Viking warriors. Same thing. Maybe it's as we imagine it to be. A wild ride and a glorious adventure. That would be mine. Maybe this is just for practice. Each little journey of our day, I mean. Hey, there's a thought. sailing to Byzantium. That is no country for old men, the young in one another's arms, birds in the trees, those dying generations at their song, the salmon falls, the mackerel crowded seas, fish, flesh, or fowl commend all summer long whatever is begotten, born, and dieth. Caught in that sensual music, all neglects monuments of unaging intellects. Unaging, man is but a paltry thing, a tattered coat upon a stick, unless soul clap its hands and sing and louder sing for every tatter in its mortal dress. Nor is there singing school, but studying monuments of its own magnificence. And therefore I have sailed the seas and come to the holy city of Byzantium. O sages standing in God's holy fire, as in the gold mosaic of a wall. 
Come from the holy fire, Purn in a gyre, And be the singing masters of my soul. Consume my heart away, Sick with desire, And fastened to a dying animal. It knows not what it is. And gather me into the artifice of eternity. Once out of nature, I shall never take my bodily form from any natural thing, but such a form as Grecian goldsmiths make of hammered gold and gold enameling to keep a drowsy emperor awake, or set upon a golden bough to sing to lords and ladies of Byzantium of what is past or passing or to come.